Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you've got a Bible, could you go to Exodus chapter 34? Exodus chapter 34. We will get there momentarily. Now, um, Melanie just mentioned uh, that a couple of Fridays back, we as a leadership team went away for the day um, to have an opportunity to look at what was next for this church, having kind of done our first 10 years, had the, the, the pandemic and lockdown and all what that meant. And part of our processing in what we were doing was for us to kind of, to sort of pray and to seek the heart of God and to kind of feel what, what was next for us as a church, what was next. And as we talked and as we prayed, we felt the most important thing for us as a church was to make sure we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we keep focusing on Jesus. And it's something that we all had a kind of an emotional connection with. This is what's important. This is what we believe we're about as our core, as our, as our fundamental. And we asked ourselves the question, how are we as a church and as individuals are going to grow our relationship with Jesus? And that question is what is going to shape us as we move towards the future. How are we going to grow our relationship with Jesus? How are we going to go deeper with him? And what we found was that as we felt that, as we came to a consensus on that, and a kind of like, yeah, this is right, that then was what will force us into some actions. So we'll have a, we'll have a connection, this is right, this is what we feel, this is the most important thing, and then out of that will come actions. And what we're going to do uh, when we look at our passage today is we're going to have the same kind of thing. We looked last week at God and a very much a feeling thing. And this week we're going to move into actions that come out of that. And what we've been looking at is uh, Exodus chapter 34 verse 6, which is the, um, the Bible. Did that just flash? Is there a camera up there or is it just like... Okay, all right. Yes, Lord, you want to go, oh, you know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was a bit, yeah, irreverent. But anyway, where, well, where was I? I felt like I was on a roll. Exodus 34, verse 6. This, book, this verse in our Bible is the, bi- the verse that is most quoted in the Bible by the Bible. And so we've been camping down in it. It's quoted or alluded to as many as 100 times throughout our Old Testament. And we've been going through it uh, week by week. And we're looking at the characteristics and the names of God that are in there. Um, and to give you a little bit of context, this verse comes in, in the fact that the book of Exodus... The people of God are in Egypt at the beginning of Exodus, having come out of Genesis. They kind of skip over 400 years there, and the, the descendants of Jacob are now a mighty nation, and they're under Pharaoh, and Pharaoh treats them terribly. Uh, they're slaves, and they're downtrodden, and they're victims of all sorts of abuse. Then God sends Moses. Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Plagues, well, Red Sea, and they're out. They come into the wilderness of the mountain of the Lord to worship the Lord. The presence of God comes on the mountain. His glory is there. He says, you're my treasured possession. And he says, we'll enter a covenant, a solemn agreement, a relationship where I will be your God and you will be my people. And the people of God say, yes, that's wonderful. Then Moses goes up the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. And then he gets the plans for the tabernacle, which is the tent. We looked at Leviticus last term. And that's going to be in the, peop- in the center of the people of God, and that'll be God's presence there. And it'll be a restoration of what happened at the beginning in Eden, the Genesis, where God's presence will be with his people. Everything's going fantastically. And then, of course, the people of God muck it all up. 
We have the golden calf incident, Exodus 32 uh, and 33, and that all goes terribly wrong. But in response to that, Moses intercedes for the people, and he says, yes, I will be your God. And, and Moses says to him, show me your glory. And then we get this section that we're looking at now. And last time, we looked at the first part of it, which was God's mercy, which we sound was very much a feeling word. It came from the Hebrew word womb, uh, for the core of your being. And it's God's emotional response to his people, which is out of a loving parent. And so when he talks about God being merciful, that is the image that we're getting uh, about that. And we look to that. You can catch up uh, the sermons online if you want to catch up and find out a little bit more about that. And we found that the, God's heart is very much for his people. And the fact that it was the first one in the list, very important. Now we're coming to the second one. Um, today. So let's get the text up. Let's read the Word of God together. So everyone look at the screen. I'll do a one, two, three, and we're just going to read the section on the screen. So one, two, three, go. Okay, amen. Today we're going to look at the second one on that list, gracious. Uh, for the, um, the context of that verse, go back to our first sermon and explain the context. And we've looked at merciful, now we're going to look at gracious. Big idea this morning is this. The Lord delights to show unmerited favor to his people. The Lord delights to show unmerited favor to his people despite their significant failings despite their significant failings. All right, let's look at this word. The meaning of the word gracious, it can be a verb, to be gracious or to show favor. It can be an adjective gracious. It can be a noun, which is just grace or favor when someone regrets, um, regrets uh, sorry, requests grace or favor. And the word is very much an action word, which is contrasted with merciful, which is very much an emotional word word and they are often paired together merciful and gracious are pairs of words that come up as you read your bible to describe the lord and they they kind of uh, create a beautiful sort of symmetry when they come together there's the emotion the heart of god to be merciful and there's the graciousness is acting on that mercy to show favor to his people now this word can be used in many different ways it can be used on a very human level. It can be used to uh, describe beauty or elegance. That's something that causes people to show favor towards someone. So we find in Proverbs 22, verse 11, someone's words can have grace or be gracious. It says, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. It can also describe something beautiful, a physical thing, an ornament. It says in Proverbs 1.9, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So that's obviously describing some kind of jewelry. That too can be something that is graceful or gracious. It also can describe movement. But Proverbs 5.19, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. So all those things have the same idea, this word that actually it causes a response 
from people when they see it because it's beautiful. It can also be described relationally. It can be used a word to describe a relational dynamic between two people, to show favor or to show generosity or to be gracious to. And the clear point here is that when this happens between two individuals, it's always between someone of higher status showing it to someone of lower status. Let me illustrate what that means. We have the story in Genesis of Joseph. Joseph was a slave. He was sold into slavery. He went down to Egypt and he was sold to Potiphar, who was a senior royal official in the court of Pharaoh. And Joseph was sold into his house. So clearly, Potiphar was the higher one and Joseph was the lower one. And it says in Genesis 39, verse 4 so Joseph found favor, there's the word, in his sight, that's Potiphar's sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of everything. So there's Joseph receiving the favor, the gracious act of Potiphar. We find it in Ruth and Boaz. We've preached through this book and we find Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner and an immigrant in Israel, while Boaz was a, uh, an, an Israelite and he was a wealthy landover. So clearly he was the one with the power and the influence and the authority and Ruth wasn't. And it says this, then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you shouldn't take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? So there's that same idea between two people, one person showing favor and grace to the other one. Then we have one that's generally uh, to the poor in general, we find in Proverbs uh, 41, uh, sorry, Proverbs 14, verse 31. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous, same word, to the needy honors him. And so there's the idea of actually someone who's in poor, in need. If you have something, someone has something, and they show generosity and favor to them, you are showing grace to them. You are being gracious to them. And so we have that. We, so we have this word meaning um, beautiful. It can also mean um, showing favor on someone, and this can be between two people. But that's only a small number of what this word means. Most of the times this word is used is when it describes God's gracious, unmerited favor on man. It shows when God shows his unmerited favor to us and shows his gracious acts towards us. And the same things apply. Number one, God is of higher social status, if you will, if you want to use that language. He is the one who is the highest of high, the infinite, the eternal, the holy, mighty God. He is far above everything. So he is the one who can show gracious acts and unmerited favor towards his people. And the second thing we need to know is that we are undeserving of it. We are undeserving of it. Not only are we undeserving, we're ill-deserving because we are rebels, we are rule breakers, we are sinners. And so when God shows his unmerited favor towards them, the, the, the kind of the gap between the two of us is vast. It is infinite because God is the one who's high above, but he shows unmerited, gracious favor towards mankind. And so what we find here is that out of God's mercy, which we've seen, which is his love as that parent towards a child, out of that he acts graciously towards us. So when Moses, the Lord revealed the name, his name to Moses, we get he's merciful and gracious. And those two things come together and marry up so beautifully of how God treats us 
um, as his people, as his children. And what this can push against is the ways that we can approach God. And there are probably three different ways that we can approach the Lord. The first one is we can approach um, God based on what we've done. And we like come to approach God and say, Lord, look what all the things I've done. Look at that. I'm, I'm doing my recycling. I'm a good person. I love my family. I'm a vegetarian. You know, whatever it is, those things which, which would then cause me to have social capital and status, you can use that to come before God and say, this is my self-righteousness. Look, you must accept me. You must treat me well. And Jesus butted up against this with the Pharisees, didn't he? They had all the laws sorted down. And they're like, we are worthy. And actually, Jesus pulled it all down. We can also come before God, not based on what we've done, but almost based on what's done to us. Like we're a victim. Like bad things have been done to him. And fair enough, they're bad. And actually, because of that, God, you now owe me. I'm in your debt because of what has been done to me. But actually, neither of those things work. Neither of those are the way you approach God. How do you approach God? You approach God based on who he is. And he is merciful and he is gracious. And that's how we come to him. We come to him knowing that he is a loving parent who is for us and he is willing to pour out his grace and mercy on us. And we see this throughout scripture again and again where God chooses to show grace and mercy to his people, to show them unmerited favor when they don't deserve it. In fact, when they least deserve it, when they are so ill-deserving of it. And we see it time and time again. The most obvious one in the context of what we're doing, of course, is the golden calf. What's happened two chapters back from where we are now, where we're camping down, is the people of God have done the most horrific thing. They've been saved by God's mighty acts. They've been redeemed. They are his chosen people. He calls them out of slavery. He sends someone, one man, to confront the powers of darkness there, to bring his children out of slavery. Sound familiar? That's what happens. They come out into freedom. They come into his presence. He's right there. And he says, you're going to be my people. I will be your God. I've done all this for you. I've redeemed you. I have brought you out. You're no longer slaves. We sang about that. You've now come into my presence. And what do they do? Moses trots up the mountain, has a few words with God. Meanwhile, all the people there going, what should we do? Moses is gone. Let's make a big idol and worship it breaking the first and the second the commandment that God has just given to them. It's like, guys, it's like committing adultery on the wedding night. You've just massively screwed up. And what happens there? It says this, Moses says this, and God, God threatens as a response, I'm going to leave you, you're going to go. And Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor, there's the grace, in your sight and your people? If you don't go with us, how are we going to be distinct? And the Lord says to Moses, the very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and you know be my name. So the people of God have completely messed up, but God, in response to that, as the loving parent shows them his favor, and says, I will be your God, you will be my people, when they are least deserving of it having just been saved they show outright rebellion to his law and if we trace this through you go to the psalms see if this stuff ever this stuff applies to you right now it says this, this is psalm 4 verse 1 it says answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you have given me relief when i was in distress be gracious to me 
and hear my prayer. Anyone need relief from distress? Because God is gracious to those who are in distress. Psalm 6 verse 2 says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Anyone here languishing? Psalm 25, verse 16. It says, Turn to me and be gracious, for I am lonely and afflicted. Psalm 86, 16 says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give me your strength, which is that grace, to your servant and save um, the son of your maidservant. Be gracious to me and give me your strength. Anyone need the strength of the Lord? Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever's happening to you today, God's gracious, unmerited favor is towards you. Even in the face of rebellion, even if you know that you're doing things that the Lord would ask you to stop, God's love and God's heart is still towards you. This is a great verse from Nehemiah. Now, the people of God had messed up so royally that they'd been destroyed as a nation. They'd been taken into exile. God had then brought them out of exile back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple uh, under Nehemiah and Ezra, and they're still mucking things up. And Ezra prays, he says, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. So even in the midst of their sin and rebellion, God is still acting. And the prophets, Isaiah, were always calling out to God for his gracious hand on his people. He says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Grace and mercy from God. And so God's heart towards us as his people, God's heart towards you is one of mercy as a loving parent, but also of gracious acts of unmerited favor to save you, to heal you, to bring uh, his power into your life, to move you forward. And this is part of his fundamental character. And it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on you. So I don't know how you find yourself coming here today and being like, I've had a really great week. I could lift my hands in worship. That's always a good sign. If you're like this, you usually had a good week. If people haven't had a good week, they're kind of more like, you know, join the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. You know, you're like, really? You've obviously had a tough week, haven't you? But it doesn't matter how you come to him because his mercy and his grace is towards you because he is a gracious God. And our response to him is based on who he is, not on who you are or what you have done. And this is perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully summed up in Jesus as God made flesh, God the Son, come towards us. Because we looked at, I think, in the first one, we looked at the New Testament equivalent of this verse, which is John 1, 14. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. And it says, John bore witness about him. and said, He's the one who was coming after me. And it says, For him is fullness we have received what? Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. So the gracious, unmerited favor of God came through Christ. And it didn't just come once, it came again and again and again. And God's gracious favor is fully revealed in Jesus. And if you want to know what it looks like, look at Jesus in all that he said and did. When he healed the sick and those who were 
under affliction, when he set free those who were oppressed by demonic forces, when he fed the hungry and raised the dead, when he welcomed the outcasts, the despised, the sinners, the ones who were on the outside of society like the lepers. He preached and taught the good news to any who would come and listen. And he would do it again and again and again. And ultimately, how is it displayed? Through his death and resurrection. When he came to earth, perfectly lived, died on a cross in our place for our sin, and then rose bodily from death. And, there, and that's what he displayed. And there's one man who was fully aware of this, the Apostle Paul. Remember him from our previous series where uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. And he was a man who was violent and angry and self-righteous. And he was fully opposed to the people of God and sought their imprisonment and persecution. And he was a man who, was, who thought he was right with God, could come to God based on his own merit, but then realized that wasn't the case. And he wrote this to his friend Timothy. He said this, 1 Timothy 1.13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with love and faith that are in Christ Jesus. He recognized what, where he was before God and what God had done with him. And then he penned these words, these incredible words. If you've got a Bible, why don't you flip over to the New Testament? We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And he says this, starting in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prison, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's where we were, all of us. It says we were dead, we were rebels, we were disobedient, we were consumed by earthly passions, and therefore rightly under God's judgment. What did God do in that situation? How did he act? But God being rich in mercy, <laughs> there it is. God being rich in mercy. He's not stingy in mercy. He doesn't just have a bit of mercy. He is rich, and that's overflowing, abundant wealth. Jeff Bezos looks poor next to God and his richness, and it's in mercy because of the great love which he had for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ by grace. You have been saved. The reason you're saved is because of God's unmerited favor on you. Because of that mercy, that love, that care, he then acts to save you when you cannot save yourself. And as a result, that was it saved, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. So the outworking of that, God didn't just save us. He then exalted us. He then lifted us up in Christ to sit in heavenly places, to enjoy that status, not because of who we are, what we've done, because of who he is and what he's done, and we get to join it. So that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what it's about. That's God's gracious acts of unmerited favor towards us. And if Paul hadn't finished, it was like, right, Ephesus, you really need to get this. Verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And people say, ha, I've got faith. That's why I'm saved. It's all about me. Just me. Oh, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. So even the faith you use to exercise, you can't take credit for. It's all about him and what he's done. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one. Nada. Zero. Zip. Zilch. There is no one who can boast in their own salvation. Because it's only through Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. And just clarify that last bit, that the good works come after everything else. They are an outflowing and an outworking of all that God has done in your life. They don't come first. Because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, we are saved. And then as a result, we overflow and we bring that out into the world. So we see the mercy of God here. We see his great love. And all because of that is based on his unmerited favor given to us. We are now seated in heavenly places. We have immeasurable riches of glory and grace that we will spend this life exploring and into the next. But all of that is not because of us. It's all because of him. It's all because of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And so when we remember that God is merciful and gracious to us, we think of Jesus, we think of what he's done, and we recognize it was all because of him. And one of our temptations in our life is for us to make it about us. Make it about us. And so how do we respond to this in a way that doesn't make it about us, but we are responding rightly? Well, we need to receive his gracious favor in our life. And we first and foremost receive that when we become Christians, when we become believers, when we become followers of Jesus. That's the ultimate act of saying, this isn't about me. This is about you, Lord. As when we repent, we return away from our sin, we follow him, we say bye to our own life. We had that visually illustrated last week nine times. Psh, death, new life. As we baptize those beautiful people. That's what we do. That's how we receive. That's how we start. And then from there, we walk in the good of that. We live in the light of that. We daily remind ourselves, it is by grace we've been saved. It's God's gracious act of mercy on my life. It's not because of what I've done. Whether you've had a, you know, a ball a week or you've had an absolutely terrible week. God's gracious mercy and favor is towards you. And we respond. We respond in worship. We respond in praise. We respond in adoration, we respond by reading our word, we respond by serving others and loving others. But ultimately, we always make it about him. We always come back to him. If someone says to you, why are you a Christian, or why do you do the things you do, or why do you do the things you have, you can respond two ways. And I think one of them has a good trajectory, and one of them is on a not-so-great trajectory. If you start with the word I 
then you're on a bad trajectory. Not necessarily wrong, but you're going in the wrong direction. Why do you do this? I, I, I. I did this. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I respond to Jesus. Yes, true, but the trajectory is bad. How do you do it? You start with he. Why do you do things you do? Why do you go to church? Because he saved me. Because he called me. Because he redeemed me. He turned my life around. He did what I couldn't do. He lifted me up when I was low. He forgave me when I was turned away from him. He called my name because I was just so focused in the world. And that's how we respond to his grace and faith. We make it all about him. We make it all about what he's done in our lives. And we always look to him and praise him and call on him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's respond to this. How do a little bit of homework, a little bit of thinking about this. First one, uh, I've told you we're going to learn the verse. How are we doing with that? Memory verses? Going old school. I think it should appear behind me, shouldn't it? Keep going. There's another one. Let's put the verse up. Let's just say it one more time just so we have it. Let's go. Read verse 6. Ready? One, two, three, go. Amen. Been practicing that. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's remember that. Let's learn that. I was at a house on Tuesday, life group. I saw it printed out with a pretty picture on the wall. Didn't, I'm not going to say they suddenly became my favorite members of the church, but they did. Um, at that point, it's like, I, they had it on the, I had it on the kitchen. So it was like where everyone could see it. And we were there for life group, and it was like, ah, they got it. Yes. They're learning, and they were like, yes, they're my favorites. Um, <laughs> Uh, so they're doing it so we're learning the verse so let's get that in let's keep learning verse here's some suggestions for this week to help us bed this whole idea of gracious in it I'd love you to take that passage in Ephesians and maybe spend some time meditating on it if you're a bit lost in what to read in your Bible Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 read it this week meditate on it chew it over think about it read through it slowly highlight key words verses that might jump out at you and say oh that bit there think about it pray it in response to God thank him for all that he's done. If he reminds things that you need to repent, do that. Dwell on words, on phrases. What does it mean to be rich in mercy? His grace and kindness towards us in Christ. What does that mean? Spend time thinking, praying, worshipping on those things. Then ask yourself a couple of questions. Here's a couple of questions for you. Where do you need his gracious favor in your life? Think about those verses from the Psalms. Are you in distress? Are you languishing? Are you lonely, afflicted, in need of strength, in need of forgiveness, in need of salvation? Cry out to him. Cry out to him. What I love about the Psalms is no matter what's going on, no matter how good or bad, they are bold and brazen in asking the Lord for grace. And we know who wrote some of the Psalms and we don't know who wrote some of the other Psalms, but there seems to be a consistent cry. And I think that's a model for us as the people of God. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever's going on, you cry out to God for his gracious hand to act in your life. That in itself is an act of faith. Saying, God, it's about you. Come move in my life. Whatever it is, what's going on in your life where you need his grace, his gracious favor to come and move? And then the second question is, how can you show gracious favor to others? 
how can you show gracious favours to others? Because the inevitability, as we read in that passage of Ephesians, is we have experienced all these things, which is wonderful. But then the message there that Paul would say is actually, there's now, you then need to go and do it. Not to earn, but in response. In response for the generosity God has shown us, the favour that he has shown us, the way he's acted towards us, we then turn to others and show that. Who do you know who is in distress, languishing, lonely, afflicted, in need of your forgiveness that you need to show gracious favor to? And that one's not easy. But that's our response to the wonderful grace that God has done in our life. And that's actually, I think, what marks us out as different. That's what tells the world of who our, who our treasure is and who we love how we treat others, especially when things go wrong and we need to step in and we need to help. And we suddenly find ourselves in the position where we're the one of the higher status, if you will, who can bring something into that situation to show mercy, to show grace, to show forgiveness, to speak in words of love and kindness, to do practical acts. That's what we're to do. So where do you need his gracious favor and where can you show his gracious favor (laughs) this week? Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray for you, lead you in a response today. What happened at our leadership team that way is we felt something and then we responded to it by the grace of God. And I want you to do the same today. I want you to feel something. God's heart is for you. God's goodness is here. He's got his gracious favor ready to roll. And I want you to respond to that today, wherever you find yourself in it. And you could respond by throwing up your hands in worship and saying, God, you're just amazing. You can respond by calling out and saying, God, I need you to move in this situation. And it's good to pray and be specific. You can respond and saying, God, there's a situation I know I can I can move towards and I can act into and I could speak into or I could get involved into or I could just, and it might be as simple as a phone call or a text message or it might be a visit and a conversation. It might be a practical act that you can do, whatever it is. I want us to hear the word of the Lord and then be motivated and moved by him to respond with gracious favor to others. And to call on it in our own lives. So that's what we're going to do. So maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to open your hands. And I'll just kind of, we'll just go through that. And you make your business with the Lord now. And whatever he wants to do with you. And so first of all, if you know you need his gracious favor in your life. If you're feeling lonely or distressed or afflicted or you're languishing or There's something else. That's not an exhaustive list. Whatever it is, call out to God now for it. Be really specific. In this situation, I need you to move, Lord. I need it here on this relationship, in my home, on my body, in my finances, on my mind, whatever it is, in my workplace, with my children, with my parents, with just whatever it is. Ask him now for his gracious favor in that situation.
What about the situations you find yourself in? Where are there places where you know you can move and walk? Lord, I just ask you just drop those into our minds now. Homes, workplaces, friendship networks. And Lord, I pray you would give us kind of ways forward, simple acts that can just show your favor to others. Lord, even this week, we might find some that are surprising because they just come upon us. I didn't expect that. And we have an opportunity to show favor, benefit the doubt, show loving care. Lord God, we pray that you would make this real to us today, that we would respond to what you're doing. Lord, we would know your graciousness. We would reflect on it in our own lives and be wowed again and praise you again. Lord God, but we also ask, God, that you would move in our lives where we find things difficult and hard. And Lord God, would we be vessels to carry this on to others, that it wouldn't be something that would terminate in us. Like the Apostle Paul, who had his whole life turned around, and then he spent it serving you and telling others and serving them. Lord God, we want to be like that. People who see the grace of God, who receive your unmerited favor, and then respond in kind because we love you and we want to serve you. And God's people said, Amen. Let's worship. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the worm. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle 